0: Jonah 1, 1 through 3, we did look into buying two whales, but it would have been really expensive to keep them, so, but I do hear that goldfish grow as large as their tanks, so, so watch out. Okay, pray with me and we'll begin. Oh God, we pray that you'll focus us this morning, God, and fill our hearts with affection for yourself. I was so moved by the song we sang earlier. Instead, oh God, let us be a generation that, that seeks, seeks your face. God of Jacob, and I pray that this morning we will be a people that seek your face, that we enter a minor prophet book and, and receive from it, because these can be difficult passages. God, will learn about you and we'll love you, let's we'll be excited about that together in your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, the book of Jonah is similar to a lot of, a lot of Bible stories. Where I could probably just start it, and you could finish it. Like if I said Daniel and the Lions Den, right? Or David and Goliath, or Jonah and the Whale, right? So, so sometimes these things can be helpful for us if we're in uh, like a Bible trivia game or or something else like that. But oftentimes they can be they can be unhelpful because. The power of association is is very strong. And so, if the first thing we think of when we think of Jonah is a whale, well, first of all, it never says there's a whale in it, right? So then we're wrong. (laughs) So the the power of association can can easily lead us in a good way or it can lead us in a way that it kind of becomes um, arbitrary or um, doesn't really have the meaning that is actually in the story. Um, And so hopefully today as we enter this text... We can actually get out of it more than, more than simply, well, three days in the belly of a whale. Right? That we'll actually receive from it this, this incredible picture of God's mercy, not only for Israel, but for the nations in the whole world. And so this is, this is an amazing passage. Um, there's a few things I want us to get uh, from, I'll just throw some themes at you. Who, who's a real history nerd in here? Because, say, you're going to be giggling all day. Because, today we're gonna, you're going to dig in a little bit to just the context of this story. And and really begin understanding why Jonah acts so weird, right? Because you get through the whole story. This is actually later in my notes, but I'm going to show this. Because... Jonah is this really weird character. No one's going to make a Jonah movie. Right? It would be like taking a guy who defected in the army and then making a story about him. Right? No, we, like, we like Braveheart. Right? We like these stories of, of men and women who were champions of a cause. But Jonah isn't that guy. Right? We look at the story of Jonah and we say, I don't want him on my baseball team. Right? I don't want him watching my children, because if he gets scared, he might take off. And so that's, that's the character we have in the story of Jonah. And strangely, Jonah is a book just doesn't really seem to fit into the canon of Scripture, because it's not about Israel. Right? If, we look at, if you look at the Old Testament, we call it the, the Judaic Bible, right? the Jewish Bible, because it's, it seems to be mostly about Israel. But the book of Jonah isn't about Israel at all. It's about Nineveh. It's about these people that spend most of their time killing Israelites. <laughs> and so why is this book about this, this, you know, really off-the-wall guy we call a prophet who is, is going to a place who isn't Israel? Why, why is that in the, in the context of the scripture? And what can we learn from this? So there's a couple of things I want us to get from this. First of all, that this book is meant to be read as history, right, and so that's what's helpful about it, is we're, when we read it, we're meant to gather events that actually happened, right, because oftentimes if we read things as just as parable or myth or things like that, we can, we can have fairly subjective outcomes, right? it'll end up being, well, I really like this portion of it, and, and hopefully we end with more than that today. The second is that Jonah, adding to the historical um, validity of it, Jonah is the only minor prophet that Jesus mentions, which is pretty important. He's actually mentioned three times in the New Testament. So strange it is, not only that this story is here, but the voice of God itself is very strange, as as God is speaking on behalf of a nation that, that seems to be against Israel the whole time. But it stands against the whole genre of, of uh, minor prophets, which I'm sure you guys spend a lot of time there in your Bible reading. But if you do, or if you just you know flip from Psalms to Matthew, um, somewhere in there is minor prophets. And these guys spend the most of their time writing songs about how things are going to burn. And so that's usually why we skip over them. But the weird thing about Jonah is that he spends... Only eight words getting his message across, right? So typically we have words after words after words, poetic words, singing words, waxing eloquent about what's going to happen to Israel in particular. But here we only have eight words, so it's very strange. And so what we're gathering is a historical story and and what we're getting from it. Um, Israel's not the focus. The focus is that a city a city that is not in Israel is going to be a recipient of God's merciful love. All right, so as we have our, our theme up here, Save the City, that's, that's the goal of the whole thing, that God sees a city, a city who's, whose wickedness has so polluted the earth that it says that outrage has come up to him and he's heard it. And so he's acting not... So the prophecy is against him, but as we, we find out that he's actually acting on their behalf. And so God is acting to save a city. And so what we find is God's merciful, pitying love on a people. And not just any people, but the but people that are against him. And so I'm excited as we enter this... Um, And partly I'm excited because Jonah's probably my least favorite biblical character. Um, And and it's amazing because I find as I read Jonah, um, and and you see Jonah's difficulty in having mercy on people. We're called to have mercy on Jonah too. And God does also. So as we enter in here, I'm just going to give you a little background. Jonah was from Galilee. Uh, Galilee is a, is a place where prophets really enjoyed hanging out. Um, Elijah was from Galilee, we have uh, Micah was from Galilee, and a really famous prophet named Jesus also spent a lot of time in Galilee, if you've heard of him. Um, it, was, it was from, the, uh, Galilee was within the tribe of Zebulun, which doesn't get a lot of airtime in the Bible, but it gets airtime in really important times, like Isaiah 9, when it writes this. Isaiah 9, every Christmas time, Isaiah 9 is read, right? And this is what it says Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by way of the sea along the Jordan and says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And so this is a place that's famous. Famous for not only prophets who are prophesying for the the current time they're in, but for the time to come. The Messiah will come. The light to the Gentiles will come. And Galilee will be a really famous spot at that time. Um... For us, as we hear about this, it's not really surprising that Jonah hears from God. Jonah's a prophet, and that's kind of what prophets do. They they hear from God. But Jonah was kind of a unique prophet of the time. Usually prophets they speak and then you have to wait a while for a prophecy to be fulfilled. But the unique thing about Jonah is that he speaks, and unique to the time, he speaks a blessing. Usually, the the words of the prophets are speaking, saying, you guys aren't doing too hot, your future doesn't look too well. And what Jonah says is something really unique. In 2 Kings 14.25, he says this. It says, uh, Jeroboam was um, the one who restored the boundaries of Israel. Jeroboam was the second. We call him Jeroboam Jr., was the one who was the king at the time. And he restores the boundaries of Israel. And it says, In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel spoken through his servant Jonah. So in Jonah's early prophetic career, this is what it looked like. Jonah gets the word of the Lord that God is going to expand Israel. And the word of the Lord comes true. And so in this short amount of time, Jonah goes from just being a prophet among other prophets to being kind of the golden boy of prophets, right? He's not only saying good things, but those good things are coming true right away. It's like it's like shooting a three-pointer at the end of a basketball game, right? And just living on that glory the rest of your life. So, so for the rest of his life, he is, he's really well known as a prophet and people like him. But in this context, we have, it's really strange because God's blessing a people that are absolutely rebelling against him. The king Jeroboam II is named after Jeroboam I. And, and Jeroboam I was a terrible guy to name a, a child after. He was the first king of Israel. And Israel at the time, um, it was the first time Israel ever... Sorry, this is history for you guys, but this is very exciting. So you guys remember King David? Wrote the Psalms. Yes, okay. So King David loved God passionately, had mistakes, but really in his heart remained faithful to God. After David comes Solomon, right? Solomon was faithful to God for a while, then he took on a bunch of wives, right? One wife's hard enough. He took on a lot of them from a lot of different nations. And from all those nations, they came and they brought their own gods to Israel, okay? And so Solomon... He tried worshipping God, but he kept being distracted because he had a lot of wives. Right? You can get distracted with one wife, but he had a lot of them. And his wife wanted to build temples to their own gods. <laughs> this is helpful, Rocky. Stop laughing. Okay. <laughs> so they so wanted to build temples to their own gods, and so, which, which they did. And they would sacrifice to their god, Solomon, try sacrificing to his god. But then it all became really confusing. Because the Israelites didn't know who to follow anymore. And so everything becomes, becomes confused in people's minds and Israel starts following different gods. And so what happens? God says, this is a serious matter, Solomon. I'm going to separate the kingdom into two kingdoms after this. To show that, that what is happening isn't just separating your your own identity of worship, right? You don't know who to worship anymore, but this is separating Israel itself. Israel doesn't know who to worship anymore. And sometimes it's really hard for us to see this. Sometimes it's so abstract. Even in our own lives, you hear... It it might be really hard if you invest all your passion, time, and energy into that because you might forget that, that God's the one that should get the glory, right? And sometimes we think so abstractly about these things and it's hard for us to see it. And so things start happening in our lives where we literally visually see the effect of that in our lives, where our lives begin separating, our emotions begin separating, our spiritual identity begins separating, and we don't really know our identity anymore. And that's what happens to Israel, so Israel separates into the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. And, and Israel begins being reigned by Jeroboam. And Jeroboam, along the way, gets the terrible idea that, well, since the temple isn't in the, the province of Israel, I'm going to build a golden calf And so people won't go to to Judah to worship at the temple. They can just worship in their own land. And so Jeroboam, this is his thinking, right? He begins thinking, my kingdom is more valuable than God's kingdom. And so I'm going to make my kingdom self-sufficient. We don't need God anymore. We don't need Judah anymore. We're just going to be our own little kingdom, our own happy little kingdom. And the people walk further and further away from God. And if you read the the line of kings from Judah, they go from bad to worse. And so eventually we get to Jeroboam Jr., and, and he's no better, and we, we read that. If you turn to Second Kings 14, or if you just want to listen, it says in 14.25, it says of Jeroboam II, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the signs of, of Jeroboam the I. So he does evil in the eyes of the Lord. But then after that, we still have Jonah's prophecy. And Jonah's prophecy is is blessing. And the question is, why? Why would God bless them? And the answer comes also in 2 Kings. It says, the Lord saw how bitterly everyone in Israel was, whether slave or free. And there was no one to help them. So so God speaks through Jonah, reminding them of his love and his affection for his people. And we'll see this time and time again, not only in Jonah, but in the other prophets that can be very difficult for us to read. It, is it, it helps us, as, as we see God's motivation isn't punishment, but is for people to be reconciled to himself. It's that he's constantly reminding them of his good love and saying... If you don't love me in return, you will keep feeling this separation, both spiritually and physically in your life. That's the result of not living in relationship with me. So this is where, this is where our, our story enters. We have Jonah, who's preached blessing, prophesied blessing on, on Israel. And then he, for all we know, he goes into retirement. We don't, we don't really know what happens. But in my imagination, he wakes up late and wears sweats all day. Right? So we have Jonah there. Right? Just kind of, kind of living out the glory. Right? Of being a prophet whose prophecy has become fulfilled. And so the first verse of Jonah is literally God calling him out of retirement. It says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And the word of the Lord to Jonah is is not very similar to the word he got before. The word of the Lord to Jonah is, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And and Jonah, in his sweats, this is probably what he thought. He probably thought, Anywhere but Nineveh. Right? And, and you, you can tell that wasn't only his thought but his train of mind because he quickly jumps on a boat to Tarshish, which is in Spain. And if you're familiar with European geography, Spain is a long ways away from Israel. Right? If you, if you, you want a, a landmark, the Rock of Gibraltar, the Straits of Gibraltar, that's kind of where, where Tarshish is in Spain. So Nineveh, the, Nineveh, for the remainder of the story, and this is why we call it Save the City, Nineveh, for the, for, for the remainder of this story, becomes sort of the center of the story. Conflict over, over Nineveh. But, but Nineveh was already a center of conflict. Um, in the book of Nahum, which is actually a whole book in the Bible talking about Nineveh's relationship with Israel, um it's it's known as the, the City of Blood. Which doesn't sound like a place you want to go to on a vacation. It says here that in, in Nahum that there was a, a city not only that it was known as the city of Blood because of its its uh destruction of other cities and other nations and it, it's just running over them, but also because of its internal practices, its practices of idolatry and witchcraft, which would also lead to a lot of bloodshed within the city. And so so partly we, we can assume, um, or we can think we can assume, well well Jonah probably didn't want to go there because he was scared. He was scared to go there because it was the city of blood. But but the story of Jonah tells us a, a very very different motivation. Jonah runs away. And the reason he runs away in Jonah 1, or Jonah 4, 1 through 3, is because he is afraid that God will have mercy on these people. And the motivation might be polluted a little bit with. With this strange call to a strange land, right? Why would God ask you to do that? An example I thought of that might be practical for some of you and not for others is, imagine being a a shooting guard on the Chicago Bulls after Michael Jordan left, right? So, let me work this out for you. So, you have Elijah, you have Elisha, and then you have Jonah, Elijah and Elisha are amazing men of God. You read the stories of Elisha, Elijah and Elisha, and you're just cheering them on the whole way, right? I mean, El- Elijah sometimes kind of gets scared, but, but he pulls through in the end, right? He gets taken away on a, a fiery chariot, right? And Elisha then gets a double portion of his spirit, and these are just powerful men, powerful men that are calling. Israel back to repentance. And then all of a sudden Jonah gets the call to call a foreign nation who's oppressing Israel to repentance. And Jonah's greatest fear is this. It says, and Jonah was greatly displeased and angry. It said, he prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. So why Jones running away? His greatest fear is that these people might might repent. And even more than that is because he knows that God actually wants them to repent. right? That God is actually calling all men from all nations, all women too, don't worry about that. All men and all women to repent and, and come to him. To come love him, be in a loving relationship with him. So how does this, how does this help us? Well, it helps us in a couple ways. It helps us first as we read prophecy. It helps us tremendously. Because how many of us really struggle with the minor prophets? Maybe there's a few of you here that are like, I just love them. But most of us enter the minor prophets thinking, these are hard words for me. And I don't even understand their context, right? That's usually how we enter the minor prophets. But how this helps us so tremendously is first of all that, that the word of God is in its severity, right? As he speaks to Nineveh saying, go and preach against Nineveh. The word of God in its severity is always motivated by the heart of God to draw people back into repentance and a loving relationship with him. Right? His goal and his desire as we read the scripture is always to bring... People, men and women, back into relationship with him. And part of the evidence of that, not only is because of what it just said here, but because we have it here, right? It wasn't just words that he he gave and left to evaporate into who knows where, but he left it with us so that we can see in the whole story, the whole history that is recorded here, that time and time again, God is working and acting in such a way that men and women will, will hear the call that God loves them and God wants them to come back to Him. And this is amazing. This helps us in our understanding of Scripture. It helps us in our understanding of the way God works towards Israel because, because the strange thing is, I think as Nineveh is the center of this, that, that Israel also is a recipient here Israel is recipient because we see God using this this strange way he created us namely jealousy to draw us back into relationship with himself and i think i think it's so crazy that Jonah get, got this call earlier on to proclaim blessing, blessings on Israel and Israel didn't respond in returning to love God. And so what's God doing? God's sending Jonah now to a people who don't love God. And so as these people come to know and love God, that Israel will be jealous for their God again. Me and my roommates were this is one of those stories that you, you don't really know if you should share or not, but I will. Um I was I was talking with my roommates the other day. So now they're nervous. And, and we were talking about, so how do you know if you really like a girl? We talk about this sometimes. And this was, I won't say what they said, I'll just say what I said. And this was my response. I said, you know when you, you really feel like fighting a guy if she's with him. And that's true uh, for me. So come to our girl plus guy equals good classes. And you'll learn all about that. <laughs> right? So what's God doing here? Literally, God is, God is rescuing a people. Why? Because he's not just the God of Israel. But he's, he is the God of the world. He created it and everything in it. And and the line we see from Genesis running to Matthew isn't excluding other people, but if you remember the blessing to Abraham, it was that, so all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him, all the nations of the earth. What we just see is God in his faithfulness maintaining the promise, right, through broken person to broken person to broken person, God saving that promise, and so that every single person on the face of the earth can come back into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and this is what's so exciting, is, is so Nineveh, Nineveh out of all places God's sending Jonah to, to say, come back, right? This early, this early call, right? That That there would be a light to the Gentiles, and I think this is just a forerunner to it. And that, that maybe Israel's affection would become jealous again for their God. They would go, those people? Those people love God? What? Right, and they would remember their own history. Turn with me to Romans 11 really quick and you'll get a taste of this. Right, a taste of this as God is continuing this same theme even into the New Testament. And this is Absolutely powerful. Romans eleven, eleven through 15. It says, Again I ask, did they, meaning Israel, stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles... How much greater riches will their fullness bring? I am talking to you Gentiles, which would be us, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in hope that I may somehow arouse my own people, Israel, to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And that is the same, same exact message we are getting in, in the book of Jonah. Oh, man, if Israel would be aroused with envy, that they would see this, this retired prophet get spit out of a fish in his sweatpants, preaching through a city, and that city comes to know Jesus, that, that, they, would, that they would see that and say, that is, our, that is our God. Right? How exciting that would be. So what do we get from this as we enter? Because we're going we're to close these verses in this really strange place of Noah on the run. Noah on the run from God. Right? Noah who... Oh, sorry, Jonah. I keep saying Noah, sorry. Jonah... <laughs> I'm just jumping all over the place. Jonah who who knew the Psalms, right? He knew that Psalm 39, where can I go from your presence? Whether I go to the heights or the depths, or whether I go across the sea or stay, nowhere can I flee from you. So as we, as we end these verses there, where does that bring us? What does, does that mean for us? And I want us to get this too, is because, because I, th- I think we, in so many ways, are, are Jonah's. Jonah's in the way of this, that, that a lot of times our Christian faith looks like this. We receive a powerful word that gives, gives us powerful blessing in our lives, and we sort of retire. <laughs> right? And we live on that word. And then when, and then when as Michelle Lewis was saying, or then when those, those hard, word, hard words come, right, or Eve was saying this too, that, that all of a sudden, and we're called out. We we get scared and we run, right? Because we we've heard the word of God, which is blessing and life to us, and then all of a sudden, the word of God's come saying, "Go into the world and let the world know that I'm their God too. Let them know it's you're not. I'm just not the God of Christians. Please, I'm the God of the world." And everything in it. And then, and then we get all uncomfortable. We're like, so I have to go out? And I have to like, talk to people? And, right? and God's like, yeah, go. <laughs> and so this is, we, and we know the Psalms too. And we go, oh no, oh no. And so we like, you, you know? <laughs> and so where do we go? Then we go on the run. And we, we get, enter this point of conflict in our own lives trying to escape from his presence, that haunting presence of God that is trying to expand us beyond our limited view of Christianity. Right? Our our limited view of God's just my God too. No, God's calling people from from India, from Uzbekistan, from South America, from everywhere, right? (laughs) But God's calling people, right? Because God isn't just the God of Israel, God isn't just the God of, of us. God is the God of the whole world. So, what is causing us to run? And, and I could label some things in my own life right now that are causing me to run. And then what will draw us back into jealousy for God? They would be jealous for His name. And sometimes, that is seeing God give His grace and show His mercy... And sh- and somebody who might not be as well read in the Bible as you, or might just be a new Christian, might not even be somebody who even knows God, and he gives this amazing revelation to them about the world, something in it, something about God's God's own character that you're left out of, right? And you're like, why didn't you tell me that? I'm I'm your boy, I'm your girl, right? what, whatever it is, and you're like, what? why am I not privy to this information? (laughs) And God's like, well, you're not jealous for me. These people are hungering. Their their cries, their bitterness, their anguish, their their sin has so filled the earth and everything in it. That cry has reached God and He has responded in such a way that that we are listening in on. We're like, wow. Wow. I, I want to see him in that way again, and so to be refreshed in that. So, what would what would cause us? Are there are there comforts in our lives that comforts or careers or things that, that we've so just we've so accepted the status quo of this is what Christianity looks like, and God's God just prying that up, prying it up, and saying no, no, I'm much bigger than that. And so, as we leave, I want us to think through the story, approach the story of Jonah in this way. That our story, our limited stories here, don't interpret the story of God. Because that's how we limit him. Right? Whether it's your experiences, or your understanding, or anything, that does not interpret God's story. It's God who interprets our story. And then when we find ourselves in his story, that our story actually has meaning again. Right? And Jonah needed that. Right? Jonah, Jonah was trying to interpret God's desire and God's story through his life. And so, so when God was said, no, look at this, Jonah got freaked out and ran away. And, and so many, so many of us, me also, go through these real times of conflict because... Because I'm trying to interpret everything God does through my own experience, right? And my own understanding. And God's saying, no, I'm way bigger than that. I'm way bigger than that. Let me speak into your life. Let me speak into your story. And you'll see how not only your story, but the story of every tribe, tongue, nation, people on the face of the earth fits into my story. Right? The story that he is telling through guys like Jonah, people like us, people who might not even know him, right? Who, who God is, is going to be sending his word to that they can respond to. So, so as we leave, I, I want us to pray through this question. Are we running? <laughs> and what are we, what are we running from, <laughs> right? Or will we turn to God and say, God, you actually have mercy and you have compassionate love and that love isn't just for me that love is for the world and i want to be a part of that i'm, just gonna, I'm not going to limit it to my own affections but god just expand my affections expand my love because your love is so much greater and that's that's what noah that's jonah that's what jonah is, is ultimately telling us as we see god's desire to save a city in the world um so pray with me and then we'll worship But God, we still find ourselves so embroiled in, in history and conflict, people that know you, people that don't, but ultimately that everything in this whole world is part of, of something you're saying, something you're doing. And God, we are so, we are so limited in so many ways, and I pray you'll just expand us to be able to love you, love what you love, have mercy like you have mercy and just worship you. God, have mercy on us today and and help us to hold these truths, love these truths, and live by them. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.